Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. Well, good morning. How y'all doing? So this morning, we're going to continue a series that we've been doing for about three months, and it's a series called A Transformed Life. And you know, I, um, I, I just been aware all morning in both of our services that we've had a time in worship today where we really took time, or at least we were compelled by the songs that we sang, to take time to look upon Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I've had times in my life where I've been very frustrated with myself. Have you ever recognized that most of the time you are your own worst enemy? And that you have things in your character, things in your reaction or responses to people and relationships and your time and what you do in life. You have things inside of you. You know those things are not Christ-like. You know they don't please God. You know that they embarrass you, you feel bad about them, and you want them to change. And so you set out on this kind of self-help program, you're going to change yourself, and you find out really quickly that you are actually powerless to change yourself. Now, people will say all the time, you can change yourself. Well, you can change your behavior, but you cannot necessarily change the character that feeds the behavior. You need someone, something more powerful than you to work on you, right? And that's, that's what the gospel is all about. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that God came not only to forgive us and secure us for eternal life, to give us, as I say here, sometimes a ticket to heaven, but He came to transform us into sons and daughters that are like Jesus Christ, the patterned Son. See, Jesus is the pattern son, and He's working in us to make us like His Son. And the only way, and here's the beautiful thing, the way the Scripture teaches that happens, according to 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, is by beholding Him. The Scripture teaches that as we look upon Him in Scripture, in creation, you know, art, in beauty, in other people, as we behold the Lord, we're transfigured Transform, that's the word metamorphosis. We are changed to be like Him by the Spirit of the Lord. So the way we change is not by our own efforts and energies, but by beholding Him. There's a principle, you see it all through Scripture and you see it in life, and that is whatever you spend the most time looking at, beholding, focusing your attention or your energies or your imagination upon what you spend the most time engaging with is what you become like. So listen, if you spend a whole lot of time just on social media or looking at the news all day long and getting agitated, you're going to become agitated and angry. And whatever you spend your energies and time beholding and looking at is what's going to shape and form you. But if you spend time looking at Jesus Christ and beholding Him, He'll change you. And you'll start to notice that the things inside of you that are a stumbling block, not just to other people, but to you, the things about you that you feel shame about begin to get healed, begin to go away over time. Most of the time, it's not instantaneous. I'll just say this. I, this is my, my preface, okay? Um, you know, many times we sing a lot of songs in our types of churches where we're breakthrough people. You know what I mean? We, 
we believe for breakthrough, and I'm all for breakthrough. And I like, how many of you like the big bam of God, right? You know, we talk about it all the time. Suddenly, we love the suddenlies. But here's the reality in the Christian life. Even though there are suddenlies and there are moments of breakthrough and times when God comes and does an instantaneous work in your life that maybe you couldn't do for years of trying in your own labors, there are those times, but most of the time in life, what changes us is the process of beholding Him and looking at Him. And today we're going to take some time and we're going to look at a person in the Scripture. I'm going to do something a little different than what I normally do, and, and that is we're going to do a character study today. We're going to look at a particular individual. We're going to look at a woman, a woman named Mary Magdalene, and we're going to see how this woman's life was radically changed by an encounter with Jesus Christ and how that encounter with Jesus Christ informed everything about her life and where she went from the moment that she met Him. Everything changed. And we're going to look at, at her example and be encouraged, I hope, by it and challenged by it and, uh, and, and learn that we can change too. God can change us, amen? And there's hope. I want to tell you, it doesn't matter where you're from, what your story is, what your experience is right now, what you're personally going through, what you've been through, what your upbringing was like, what, you, what kind of tragedy, loss, pain you've experienced, it does matter, don't get me wrong. But those things do not ultimately define you. But Jesus Christ and your interfacing and relationship with Him defines who you are. Amen. Amen. I want to start by talking about Jesus because I think this sets up His influence and His person, and it's really important that we hear this. John Ortberg in Who Is This Man says this. He says, in some ways... Our biggest challenge in gauging Jesus' influence is that we take for granted the ways in which our world has been shaped by Him. For example, children would be thought of differently because of Jesus. You can actually see a point in history where the view that cultures and societies had about children were changed because of the influence of Jesus Christ. Historian O.M. Backey wrote a study called When Children Became People, The Birth of Childhood in Early Christianity, in which he noted that in the ancient world, children usually didn't get named until the eighth day or so. The reason for that was up till then, there was a chance that the infant would be killed or left to die of exposure, particularly if it was deformed or of the unpreferred gender. That's what they did in the Roman society. This custom changed because a group of people who remembered that they were followers of a man named Jesus, and he said, let the little children come to me. See, after Jesus came on the scene, we can mark in history a change in attitudes toward children, and that children at that point became much more valuable, not just as kind of a commodity to fulfill our desire, but intrinsically, that is built into them because they are human, little humans, children, they had value. It was Jesus in the gospel that brought that into the world. You know, Jesus never married, but His treatment of women led to the formation of a community that was so congenial to women that they would join Him in record numbers, and as Christianity spread, they would join it in record numbers. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today, the influence of one woman. He never wrote a book. 
Yet his call to love God with one's mind would lead to a community with such a reverence for learning that when the classical world was destroyed in what are sometimes called the Dark Ages, that little community would preserve what was left of its learning. Actually, much of the classical literature of the of the Roman times and the Greek times, the Greco-Roman literature, what we call classical literature that laid the foundation for Western civilization was preserved in places like Ireland and Scotland and England in monasteries. A lot of people don't know that. We wouldn't have some of the classics. We wouldn't have the writings of the Greco-Roman world of Cicero and others. We wouldn't have those things that laid the foundation for Western civilization had not Christians taken them and preserved them and kept them. And this movement would lead to a love of learning and in time give rise to libraries and guilds of learning and universities. See, a lot of people don't realize this, but did you know that almost all of the Ivy League colleges on the East Coast of Harvard and Yale and Princeton, those universities were founded as institutions to train ministers? A lot of people don't know that. Most universities in in Europe during the Middle Ages and later during the Renaissance and then into the classical period. And as we we came into what we would call the modern age, almost all of them began as Christian higher institutions of learning. You know, some people will sometimes say that, you know, in order to love God, you have to disengage the mind. And that is absolutely not true. We're called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Faith is not blind. Absolutely not. We follow a historical person who actually lived and changed the world, and we have writings about him, more writings about him than any figure in antiquity. Nobody has ever been written about more than Jesus of Nazareth, both through biblical sources and extra-biblical sources. We serve a historical, real God who became a man in the flesh. Amen. Also, he never held an office or led an army, and yet the movement he started would eventually mean the end of emperor worship, be cited in documents like the Magna Carta, begin a tradition of common law and limited government, and undermine the power of the state rather than reinforce it as other religions in the empire had done. It is because of his movement that language such as, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Because of Jesus, those kinds of statements entered history. The Roman Empire into which Jesus was born could be splendid but also cruel, especially for the malformed and diseased and enslaved. This one teacher had said, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. Out of that, an idea slowly emerged that the suffering of every single individual human being matters and that those who are able to help ought to do so. And out of that rose hospitals and relief efforts of all kinds from Christianity. A lot of people don't realize that. Even today, they often carry names that remind us of him and his teachings, like Samaritan Hospital, Good Samaritan, right? Deaconess, Sacred Heart, all these things. These come from Christian groups who showed compassion toward the suffering. Humility. This is the last one, which was scorned in the ancient world, especially among the Stoics, and and, and in Rome in general, humility was looked down upon, not as a virtue, but as a vice. If you were humble, what was wrong with you? 
Well, in Christ, humility which was scorned became enshrined in a cross. It's what we call the cruciform, the life of Jesus, laid down willingly for the sake of the other, given up willingly for the sake of the other. It was eventually championed as a virtue. And enemies who were thought to be worthy of vengeance, help your friends and punish your enemies, came to be seen as worthy of love. I mean, where else can you go to learn this? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Say, what? Are you crazy? But that's what we're called to do. We're called to love our enemies. I'm almost done. Enemies came to be seen worthy of love. Forgiveness moved from weakness to an act of moral beauty. Even in Jesus' death, or excuse me, even in death, Jesus' influence is hard to escape. The practice of burial in graveyards or cemeteries was taken from His followers. It expressed the hope of the resurrection. Death did not end Jesus' influence because we know He rose from the dead, but in many ways it just started it. So that's the foundation for the person we're going to look at because we're going to see how Jesus encountered a woman and how this woman went on to have a profound impact and how God blessed her for her devotion and her love. We're going to look at a woman who was transformed by Jesus and became a giant in our faith and who often gets too little attention. We're going to look at Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene. We're going to see ourselves in her life, and we're going to see a woman who was radically changed by Jesus. We're going to see that Mary was a woman of firsts. She was the first to discover the empty tomb of Jesus, the first to report it to the disciples, the first to see the risen Jesus Christ and also the first to be sent by Jesus to proclaim His resurrection to the disciples. In her life, we see that a tormented and oppressed person can become a generous, faithful messenger of Jesus. Amen? Some of you that are sitting there that are Bible people are like, okay, let's get into some Scripture. Here you go. Here's the answer to your request. The first point we're going to look at today, if you're a note taker, is that Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene, had a life changing encounter with Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3 with me. It says, and this is Jesus traveling, it says, afterward, He was traveling from town to town, excuse me, afterward, He was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with Him, and also. Now, I want to stop for a minute and just talk about and also. How many of you, when you get this idea, and you even see it sometimes on series like The Chosen and others, but how many of you, you get this idea that when Jesus was traveling, He always had these 12 with Him, and that was kind of it, right? But here's the truth. When Jesus traveled, the 12 were with Him, and a lot more. There became this traveling band. We know at one point He sent out 72 disciples to go out and preach and heal the sick and do these different things that the 12 had done. He sent the 12 out first. They came back. They reported. He says, that's the good pattern. Now we're sending you 72 out. And we know that after Jesus rose from the dead, the scripture says over 500 disciples saw him risen. So we know that he had a big band. I'm guessing that band at times went from maybe 12 to Five, six hundred, thousands, we know He fed five. I mean, those people were following Him everywhere. So Jesus had a lot of people hitching their wagon to Him. Amen? But as we look at 
at, at this text here, it, look, look what it says. It says, and so afterward he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and, t- and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary called Magdalene. Seven demons had come out of her. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, notice this, Herod's steward. Herod, the king. She was the steward of Herod. So we got quite a socioeconomic gap going on here, right? We got a woman that had seven demons in her, and we have somebody who's right next to Herod handling affairs of Herod, a steward of Herod, right? And Susanna and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. So Jesus was being funded in His ministry from a group of women, women who had been radically changed by Him. Now, I want you to think about something here. Mary had been possessed by seven demons. Many scholars say that represented complete and total control. Seven is the number of completion. Mary's life would have been completely out of control or rather controlled by evil and suffering. The trauma, the damage to her self-image, and the complete rejection by society would have been terrible. It's obvious that her encounter with Jesus really transformed and changed this woman's life. I want you to think about it. Somebody, when the devil comes to take possession of a life and finds an open door, he seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He seeks to destroy the individual, to strip them of their humanity, to make them more animalistic. He seeks to destroy their relationships and break and divide through violence and anger, through, through behavior that is self-destructive and destructive of relationships. And most of all, he seeks to separate that individual from God's presence, to keep them from liberation, to keep them from becoming who they're really created to be. So this woman had probably, we're speculating here because we don't know the backstory. Some people have tried to say that Mary of Bethany, who they say was a harlot and washed the feet of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene are one and the same person. But if you do, if you really dig into it, it's really hard to, to prove that. In fact, I would say I, I don't believe that's true. So there's no real evidence that Mary Magdalene was a harlot, but we do know this about her. We know that she was a woman who had been stripped of all of her sense of worthiness and and self-image and torn up, and her life would have been traumatic and probably violent. We know that there's a demon-possessed man that ran around the tombs, right? The demoniac from the Gadarenes, and he ran around the tombs, and the Scripture says he stripped his clothes off of him, and he Took the, took the rocks and cut himself with the rocks and he broke the chains and he was out of control and Jesus liberated him, healed him. And when they came back later, he was clothed and in his right mind. Well, if that happened with this, this man, this woman had seven demons in her, what did they do to her? What was her reputation? How did people around the society see her? So you can imagine when she comes to Jesus, excuse me, Sorry, sometimes I spit on myself. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) When she comes to Jesus and encounters him, something happened, but we're not told, we're not given insight into the actual story, but Jesus cast all the demons out of her, and she was healed and whole and changed and in love. Absolutely captivated, right? And, And this changed life, this is the second point, Mary's changed life produced a generous 
giving heart. She became somebody who just gave of her life. We just read in that text that she supported. She was one of the many who supported him from their possessions. Mark 15, verses 40 and 41, talks about them watching Jesus at the cross as he dies. And it says this, it brings it up a second time, different gospel, but a second witness to the fact that they gave of their possessions to support or they cared for Jesus in some way, shape, or form. Verse 40 says, there were also women watching from a distance. Jesus is hanging on the cross and he just died. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women followed him and took care of him. Many other women had come up with him to Jerusalem. So, so you need to understand something. In the ancient world, Jesus was seen as a rabbi, and rabbis didn't have female disciples. They called males only. So Jesus was breaking all the patterns. He was destroying these ideas, and around him were all these disciples, and many of them were women. It's weird, when you start reading the Bible, you're going you're to start seeing it differently now. It's not just Jesus and His 12 dudes. This wasn't a good old boys club. This was Jesus and some powerful men and women who really in the beginning weren't very powerful at all, right? Amen. <laughs> so where was I? Okay. Oh, yeah. So Mary was one of several men, women from various social backgrounds who supported Jesus financially. Her life had been so radically changed that she could not help but give her resources to help Jesus accomplish his mission. Mary had been loved, set free, forgiven, and accepted into Jesus' group of disciples. This unconditional love had transformed her into a generous hearted person. If Jesus changes your life, you will become generous. Listen to me, you will become generous because He's generous generous and He lives in you. If your life has been changed, you look for ways to give back. And don't worry, I'm not about to receive an offering. (laughs) See, whenever you start talking about, you know, generosity and money and resources, people get nervous. I start noticing people just, you know, some people, they start twitching and stuff, you know, no, 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 just relax, just relax. That that is not going to happen right now. But I want you to think about your own life. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, are you generous with your time, your talents, your treasures, and thank you, Julie, your testimony? Are you generous with your time, talent, treasures, and testimony? Because see, I don't know if we realize this, but every one of us in this room are stewards, or let me use a more modern word, we're managers. And everything we've been given, time, talents, treasures, testimony, your life, if you're a Christian, it doesn't, well, this is true of all humanity actually, but if you're a follower of Jesus, do you know the Scripture teaches that you don't belong to yourself? Ooh, whoa, what? Somebody's just like, I didn't sign up for that. Get ready, here it comes. You don't belong to yourself. You've been purchased with blood. And the Scripture teaches that when you stand before Christ at the end of time, when you stand before the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you will give an account of your life and how you managed, how you invested the resources of who you are. And so if you're like, mine, it's all mine, (laughs) 
right? If you're that kind of a person, Jesus needs to heal you because you're going to find in life that as you let Him change your heart, you're going to look around everywhere and you're going to see opportunity to invest in lives, in worthy things. You're going to find reasons to live that go beyond just getting more stuff. You know, the, the culture calls us consumers. Christians shouldn't be consumers. We need to get rid of the consumer spirit and be investors and invest in lives and in people and in worthy things, time and energy with people we love and relationships, amen, and God. We're called to be managers and stewards. And what happened to her after she was changed is she became generous with everything. Number three, Mary's changed life produced a faithful and loyal love for Jesus. Mark chapter 15, verse 37 through 40, I'm going to take you through three scripture texts really quick here, but I want you to see this, and and this was a, a reference that I already shared part of earlier. It says here in verse 37, Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed His last. Then the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion, that was a Roman soldier over a hundred soldiers, when he saw, when the centurion who was standing opposite him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. There were also some women watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. John 19.25, and standing by the cross of Jesus were His mother, His mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Oh, Mark chapter 15, verses 47 through chapter 16, verse 1, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph were watching where He was laid. Or watch, where are they going to put him? And when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they could go and anoint him, go and anoint his body. So, if you put these three texts together, you see an interesting picture. When all the male disciples, all the men had fled, fearing for their lives, And were hunkered down and began to get away from there and find a room where they could hide from the authorities. They knew Jesus was a criminal and therefore as His disciples and followers, they too were criminals. And as they were hiding in fear, the women were close by. Maybe it was a bit of a distance. We we seem to have, I don't believe, a contradiction. I believe that both John and, and Mark are giving us a sense of reference. They were near to the cross but it was a bit of a, diff, of a distance, and they were watching everything happen. And then as Jesus' body was taken down, they followed where He was laid, and they, they made sure they were there. They were caring. They were giving dignity to His death. They were still loyal to Him. Sure, their minds were blown. All of their hopes were destroyed. They were, they were thinking, wasn't this the one who was going to be the king over the kingdom and restore everything? This was Messiah, Yeshua, Hamashiach, the Messiah of all. He's dead now on a Roman cross, the worst way to die, and, and they're... They're just trying to figure out what happened. This man raised the dead, healed the sick, walked on water, multiplied fish and loaves, did incredible things, and now he's dead? 
I mean, we put all our eggs in that basket. What happened? And yet, they didn't quit following. They stayed close. They made sure that He was cared for in His death. See, Mary gave dignity to Jesus' death and demonstrated her love for Him. As is often the case today, the most faithful lovers of Christ are often women in the church. Come on, I see it all the time. Mary was a beautiful example of someone who risked her life and well-being to be near Jesus through His suffering and His death. And if you look at the history of Christianity, and you can see a lot of writings about this, if you look at the history of Christianity for 21 centuries, you're going to find that the people who have often been the most faithful, who have served the most sacrificially, who have given the most of their time and their energy, who have been there washing the feet of the saints and washing the feet of Jesus, the body of Christ, are women. The ones you can count on to pray, to show up for meetings, to attend small groups, to serve behind the scenes. And, and because the Scripture seems to indicate that the first will be last, the last will be first, and Jesus is into inverting the whole world and turning it upside down, I can just imagine when we wrap this thing up and it's all finished and we're standing around, and you know, the Scripture indicates, we're not standing around, but the Scripture indicates we're going to receive rewards. And there's actually going to be recognition, not in a competitive way. Actually, we're going to be so humbled that any of us are before His throne, that just beholding Him is going to captivate us. But when He begins to say, here's what life was, here's what your life was, and He begins to recognize people through all those centuries, His people, that beautiful cloud of witnesses, we're going to be shocked and amazed to find that many of the people we never knew or we never gave credit to or we never really thought that much of were the giants and the great ones in the kingdom who did the greatest work. We're going to find out that the ones that were forgotten and hidden away in unknown places, they didn't have international television ministries and they weren't well-known and they weren't celebrity pastors, are going to be the little ones, as we would say. I think a lot of them, probably a lot more than 50-50, are going to be women. In the years that I've walked with the Lord, the most devout people that I know oftentimes are women. And so, ladies, I salute you. Amen. Yeah. And this takes me to my last point. Mary's changed life made her the first for many things. Look at this with me. John chapter 20, it's the account of the resurrection. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2 and then verses 11 through 18. Follow the story with me. This is really powerful. It's a, it's a long text of Scripture, but it'll be worth it in the end, okay? And I'm starting to wrap things up, so we're going to come in for a landing, but I am going to circle the airport a few times, so here we go. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Notice the language. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb, so she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. <laughs> That's the writer of this book, John. <laughs> That's how he identifies himself, <laughs> the one Jesus loved, you know. Not about you guys, but the one that, yeah. And said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. And so it says that 
and, and I, I don't have this part of the text because I want to get to Mary, but real quickly, those two guys got up and they ran to the tomb. And John even gives an account of who's running faster and who gets there first, and then who looks in the tomb first, and who follows and goes all the way in. He records it all, and I'm just like, typical dudes, man. It's all about the competition, right? So that story is told, and then it says this. They leave, and they're like, wow, what is going on? And they go back to tell the rest of the guys, and verse 11 says, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? By the way, real quick, woman in that culture wasn't like, woman. It wasn't like that. It was a term of endearment and respect, okay? It'd be like saying ma'am or sir. So woman, that's really important to know because sometimes when we look at that, we're like, oh, Jesus, well, woman, what's up with you, bro? You got a little bit of uh, misogyny and sexism going on there? No, he's respecting her. He's honoring her. Okay, so where was I? Woman. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll take him away. By the way, I made reference to this a couple weeks ago, and I think it's a really important thing. Remember, Adam and Eve sinned, and they fell. They were kicked out of a garden. They'd been created by God to be gardeners, to spread the garden into the earth, right? They sinned. They fell at the tree. They're kicked out of the garden. Two angels block the way back into the garden with a flaming sword, and they're not allowed, or is it one angel? I don't remember. Anyway, angels block the way, and they're not allowed to come back into the garden, okay? Now, Jesus is crucified, dies, and is buried in a garden. Did you know that? In a garden tomb. And the stone is rolled away, and Jesus comes out, and angels are there with an open door. Where there was death, there's now life. And when she turns around and sees Jesus, she doesn't recognize him. And I could see why that would be happening. She's crying. Her head's probably down. She probably doesn't look up and make, you know, uh, facial contact. She's just probably, she sees a man in there and she's like, sir, if, you, if you've taken his body away, tell me and, and I'll, I'll go get it, uh, which I also think is hilarious. Can't you see her right now? <laughs> she's pulling the body of Jesus. It doesn't make sense. Anyway, she's courageous though. So why are you crying? What are you seeking? And, and so, and she says, supposing he was the gardener, oh, that's interesting. Regular, I mean, you know, Jesus is, is, is a gardener. He really is, and we're his garden, and he's, you know, he's taking care of us. And supposing him to be the garden, she said, gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And this is a beautiful moment because it, it shows that the Lord knows you by name, Right, And that's what we hear. When we hear the sound of His voice calling our own name, it becomes personal. Mary, turning around, she said to Him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. And what that means is don't detain me here. Jesus wasn't saying, ooh, don't touch me. He was saying, you can't detain me here, okay? Because a lot of people get confused about that. You can't detain me here. Uh, don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But listen to this. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and 
your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. Now, taken from this text, think about these four things. Number one, Mary was the first to the tomb. Think about that for a minute. She was there early while it was still dark. Jesus honored that love and devotion. She rose early and she encountered life in the resurrection and in the resurrected one. I want you to think about your own life. Do you ever rise early or stay up late? Some of you are night, night owls, so I know how that works, right? Some of you are morning people, some of you are night people, but do you ever take time in the morning or the evening when everything is quiet and when everything is still? Say, here I am, Lord. I'm going to rise early or I'm going to stay up late because I'm going to be with you. I want to meet you. Come and meet me. He'll meet you. Life will be there. Secondly, Mary was the first to proclaim the empty tomb. Nothing can ever take that away from her. When we meet her someday on the other side, she'll be honored by all for her devotion and love. Peter can't say it. John can't say it. None of the other disciples can say it. Mary can say, hey, bros, I saw him first. I was there first. In fact, let me tell you about four firsts that I got to be a part of. Of course, she's not going to do that because humility is the kingdom, right? But, but the point, think about it. We're going to, a lot of times, have you ever done this? And I, I'm, I'm, I'm coming in, don't worry. But have you ever done this? Have you ever thought, what's it going to be like on the other side? Who do I want to meet? And most will be like Abraham or David. I want to meet David or, you know, Moses or, or some of the apostles. And I'm going to tell you what, put Mary Magdalene on your list because Jesus honored her her above all the other disciples and apostles. You get to be first. I think it's interesting. This is just a personal aside, but Eve gets the blame for the fall, doesn't she? She's the first to sin, though we know there's a lot more to the story. The Scripture says Adam stood by and did nothing. But, you know, we we often blame Eve, right? Eve gets the, the bad word. But isn't it interesting that in the new creation, in the new beginning, the first one to redeem it all, who gets to hear about the resurrected Christ and a new creation beginning is a woman. Praise the Lord, redemption. Mary was the first to see the... the, So she was the first to proclaim the empty tomb, the first to see the risen Jesus. Again, what an honor and privilege. A woman who'd been demon-possessed and whose life had likely been a complete train wreck gets to see Jesus first. Think about that. How many of you here right now, you count yourself out, you look at your past, you look at your story, you look at how badly you've screwed up. Maybe you're still paying back fines. Maybe you're trying to figure out how to get your life together after jail or or addiction has ruined you or you've gone through a broken up marriage or you've been dealing with with circumstances and situations one layer after another and it seems like you're going to be crushed or you did some stupid stuff and you really got into some bad stuff and lots of stuff. And now you're sitting here and you're looking at your life and it's a wreck and it's a mess and you think, what can God do with me? Look at Mary Magdalene. He can do a lot. He can change you, but then he can use you to be a change agent and you can be a part of something great. And she went on to be a part of a lot of amazing things. We don't have a lot of history, 
But there are legends around her. Some of them include that she went out as far possibly as France and proclaimed the gospel and helped start churches and all kinds. Anyway, she was an amazing woman in the early church. And it started with a woman who had seven demons in her and who was captivated by darkness and evil. And that takes me to the last point. Mary was the first to proclaim the risen Jesus to the apostles. Many church, early church writers, you can find this in early church writers in the first two to three centuries of Christianity, called Mary the first evangelist and the first apostle to the apostles because the word apostle means sent one. And he literally sends her to the apostles with the message, I'm alive. And that was the message of the apostles, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, His kingdom is good news. So, uh, what a privilege for a former demon-possessed woman to be chosen to proclaim the risen Jesus to the new leaders of a new movement that was going to shake the world. God can redeem any life. Let Him redeem yours. Amen?